What's up, everybody? Anthony Gazenta here with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, of course, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Coming at you with another episode of OBI on this Wednesday evening, and I am joined as usual by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. John Sheeran on the on the prowl for some new stomping grounds out in his hometown. There, uh, how's it going, my man? Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but like, I, you're a real estate agent. Prices aren't exactly at an all time low right now. So yeah, it's exactly, that's been, yeah. it's been fun, but yeah, um, kind of a kind of a wild week um, just for a lot of people. So it's a lot right. to take in right now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, so uh, it's really. I mean, it's the calendar week or the calendar two weeks really of a lot of just stuff going on around the world, and um, you know, you try and make football and the Bengals a little bit of a respite, and um, I don't know how successful we all have been at doing that but uh you know obviously with everything going on in texas and laguna woods and buffalo and everything uh especially over the past couple of weeks here our our hearts and thoughts and everything uh go out to everybody affected by that and um it's hard not to be affected on it uh by by on some level so yeah a lot going on around the world and um you know football kind of pales in comparison to to things but we are here to kind of Take hopefully take a little bit of a uh, a detour from that negativity and that uh, evil stuff going on in the world, and hopefully we can uh, at least keep our minds occupied on some other things for just a little while here as we talk Cincinnati Bengals, OTAs, and all kinds of different things. Um, there, it's 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 weird, John. It's kind of a it's a it's a quiet period in some respects, but the Bengals are coming off and doing some on-field work and all kinds of different things. So it's not exactly like the, the total doldrums of the season, but um, you know, it's not also the hype up before the draft and free agency and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of the calm before the storm, I guess a little bit for, for summertime. It's, it's the time where you're right. Like stuff is happening. It's not the complete dead period, but we also don't, we don't learn anything new really. They're barely doing anything at practice. So the only thing I think fans care about is like no one get hurt. Like everyone just <laughs> yeah. make spring at camp and, and we'll go from there. Right. And that has been, I, I don't know how successful that has been because now we are learning about an injury to one of the most important Bengals players, even one who has not taken a snap with the team before. And Alex Kappa, their set starting right guard, one of their prized free agent acquisitions. He is dealing with a core injury, John. I talked about that a little bit on the Happening Headline show yesterday. But um, if, if you want to kind of clue us in a little bit as to all of that and, and talk about that, and I, I want to get your thoughts on what your take is on this injury and, and what you may think about it. Yeah, let me flex my medical degree here. Um, <laughs> you know what's you know what's been unfortunate for the Bengals is like it seems like they suffer a random OTA injury basically every year. And like I can think back to Jonah Williams, you had a mm-hmm. energy, White Hubert, and now Kappa. But the difference between Kappa and those other three is that the other three like missed significant time. Williams missed his entire season, Hubert missed his entire rookie season, Adenogy missed the first half of last season. So they're saying that Cap is only going to miss a couple weeks in Bengals terms. That could mean a couple months, but hopefully he's good by camp and training and uh, the preseason. So let's just take it at face value at this point. A core muscle injury, I think. I think it's just in your midsection, your abs. It could be uh, varying levels of severity, but 
if the prognosis right now is a couple weeks i mean dead the dead period's about to start here in like a month or so and he'll have two months until i think the official start of camp so so long as he's 100 percent by then i think i think they should be in the clear it's hard to know exactly what this what this injury is, what this injury entails, and and everything. It's just kind of you know Zach Taylor's downplaying it, and it sounds like it's something that will not be serious. It sounds like it's something that's maybe a couple weeks in the in the making, and you know could be something that uh, it should not be serious for Kappa. But uh, this is the thing, John. I mean, you mentioned some of those players that had some issues, injury issues, and in OTAs. Others in training camp and in preseason recently, namely Joseph Osai and, of course, A.J. Green in his second to last year with the Cincinnati Bengals. It was something that was supposed to be minor, and then it just lingered, and then they rested, and they did all kinds of things, and it just did not get better. Now, this is where I get a little worried about this, because number one, depending on what the core injury is with Alex Kappa, obviously rest, don't overexert it. You know, it's it's something that, you know, you would think if it's not a, a, you know, a tear or a massive hernia or something in there that's not devastating, you would think rest will do it. But, you know, it's it can be, number one, kind of like a hamstring issue. You know, if you keep, even after some rest, you can retweak it and it kind of keeps lingering. The other thing is, I, I don't want to say we don't believe the Cincinnati Bengals when it comes to injuries, John, but those instances that I just brought up, A.J. Green, and Joseph Osai, these things kind of escalate a little bit after, hey, you know, no big deal, no big deal. Um, and then all of a sudden surgery out for the season. So I, I guess as we sit here and we know, you know, Zach Taylor's kind of talked us off the ledge, but I guess, are you believing this? Are you believing the severity or lack thereof with the cap injury? Yeah, I think something I respect from Taylor is that at the AJ incident really stuck with him and how he handled that. Hmm. And he kind of regretted, I think, just playing it off as something that wasn't serious. And like, yeah, he'll be back by a certain period of time. And I think he was on record for saying, I don't really want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver in regards to an injury that ultimately he has no control over it. Like, all these things are different and they're, you know, they have individual variables that are attached to them. And every injury is different in that regard. So I think when he talks about injuries now, he's a little bit more cautious and he's not going to give like always the optimistic uh, return table timeline. I remember with with Osai, like it was just because like we didn't know a ton of information at the time. And I think it was that night after the game where it was like it, it's thought of to be like a minor knee injury. And but I don't think there was like an official comment on that. And then we learned like the, the day after that it was a torn meniscus or something. So with Kappa, I guess he didn't pra- I guess he must have practiced last week and then tweaked something. At this point, it's May. Like you still want to get inter- integrated with your new teammates and whatnot. But if there's no real reason to push it, then just rest for a couple weeks and then we'll reevaluate. Because soft tissue injuries is something that also Taylor has made a very like brilliant point about. Like it, this time of year, to not stress them because you're exactly right. They can be reaggravated. They can't be made worse if you continue to exert yourself, and then they cost you time when the season actually starts. So. You know, it's not necessarily a hamstring injury, which is, I think, what he was more referring to. But yeah, it's still something that can linger. And if you don't, you know, rest it, if you don't treat it properly, it can affect you for a lot longer than just a two week period. Right. And, uh, you know, the other, (laughs) 
the other thing with with all of this is, you know, you kind of touched on it. It's Zach Taylor and part of what he has revamped in a lot of different areas with this team is the athletic training staff and, and all kinds of different things. And they work. There's an, a great article. I think it was from Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic who chronicled this a, a week or two ago, kind of talking about how the team has has worked with hand in hand with the training staff in terms of handling these issues, handling fatigue, handling the, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word, but handling the possibility of a player getting injured because they are fatigued or because they maybe have a twinge when, you know, in previous times they'd say, you know, go out there and practice. And now it's like, Hey, this is an important player. We need all hands on deck. And then last year, obviously the health was one of the biggest benefits for the Bengals as they marched their way to the Super Bowl. So like, you know, obviously that that's kind of what you're talking about this hand in hand work with the training staff and saying, you know, let's, let's be overly cautious about some of this stuff. This may be something minor and we laugh about in just a couple of weeks. um, But let's make sure it's that instead of something else. Right. And I think they're only, again, it's not like they're practicing every day of the week. This is like one day sessions. Right. And during this phase and I don't even know like how many more of these they they have. I think they may have like a couple more weeks of this. So yeah, if he misses uh, some of those, then it is what it is. He can still be present on the sideline. He can still, you know, soak up as much of the playbook as possible. But yeah, at this point, there's no reason to really freak out until we we learn more information and that's just going to come in time. Well, one of the other storylines coming out of, OTAs and, uh, you know, practices and whatnot is a little bit of uh, kind of a pleasant surprise. And that's Scotty Washington, the big former wide receiver out of Wake Forest and now transitioning to tight end. He is huge. And when he made uh, made it to the team as an undrafted free agent, you know, immediately you saw the size, you saw the position, you go Auden Tate 2.0, right? Um, but the speed, at least the straight line speed was a little bit better with Scotty Washington. He has bulked up a little bit and now in an effort potentially to find himself an easier way onto the roster, he is in a weaker position group in tight in the tight end group. And he's kind of showing off a little bit. Um, they're liking what they're seeing. James Casey's kind of saying, you know, this is kind of my new, my new project I'm taking on here. And we're going to we're going to roll with it. So, you know, obviously there's a lot to know. There's a lot, a lot more blocking responsibilities, different blocking responsibilities. But just with the big body, maybe adding a little to his frame. This is kind of one of those guys I feel like through training camp to really kind of carefully watch because every year, especially at the past catching positions, there seems to be guys with the Bengals that you know, oh man, this guy's lighting it up. Oh man, this is going to be the guy that, that makes it, you know, or God forbid he gets the waivers because we know anybody from the Bengals who gets to the waiver wire, John, they're going to get scooped up. They, the Bengals won't have a chance to get him back. Uh, I say that sarcastically, of course, but your take on kind of what's going on with Scotty Washington. I know it's a, it's kind of making a mountain out of a molehill as we go in OTAs and, you know, you got to see when pads come on preseason games are played, but something to, that I found kind of interesting. Oh, it's it's hilarious to me because for four years it was when are they going to move on and take tight end, <laughs> right? right? And, right, and they actually, right. and they did it, but to, just to another guy who right, kind of right. resembles Auden Tate receiver. And all it took was for him to get cut. At least was, was he a twenty twenty undrafted free agent or was he yes. new last year? Okay, so he stuck around for two years and then they cut him before last season because like they had no room for him on the roster and they kept um, one or two other guys on the practice squad at, at receiver. He recognized that, you know, there's 
not really a path for me to be on this team at this position. If I have the frame at 6'5", 215 to bulk up 20, 30 pounds and maintain that speed, like that's the biggest difference, right? Because Auden Tate never had any breakaway speed at all. It was just pure catch radius. And that's when people said that he could be a tight end despite not being a really good athlete. You might as well just bulk up. Scotty mm-hmm. Washington's a much better athlete already at his previous size. And if he can retain that same level of acceleration and speed, which he says he can, but we haven't really seen it on film yet. So if that's the case, 6'5", 245, at a position where there's not a ton of depth, there's definite opportunities in case injuries happen, you might as well take on this project if you are James Casey. Like they brought him back last year for this exact reason. They didn't draft a tight end. What Bengals fans got is a wide receiver convert who gained 30 pounds and is still, you know, pretty young he's like 24 25 years old or maybe a little bit older because he entered the league a little bit old but yeah might as well try it out to see what it is because they didn't really do anything else to the position aside from Hayden Hurst it's yeah I mean it it couldn't really hurt and you know I I don't know if the Bengals will be looking at you know the the remaining free agents or whatever else out there we know they were enamored with Thad Moss and getting him uh, some potential playing time in a game before getting hurt in pregame warmups. I think it was against the Steelers in the rematch against Pittsburgh, that game that he ended up hurting himself. Maybe it was the game against Las Vegas, one of those two games, I think. But regardless, uh, you know, that was he was expected to get some playing time, did not. And then, you know, there's kind of just an open door behind Hayden Hurst and, and some others there. I mean, Mitchell Wilcox, that's a guy they like. Obviously, you've got Drew Sample in there, but you know there, there's an avenue here. He'll have to show that he can he can play special teams. He'll have to show that he can help out in the blocking game and whatnot. But uh, you know, if if the pass catching is already there, it's kind of learning the other nuances that James Casey is hired to teach him. And so we will see if, in fact, it works out. But Again, one of those kind of intriguing guys as we go into training camp here. We've been we're, we're going to have one a little later in terms of a another behind the scenes Bengals. We'll we'll talk uh, some some about that. But this that's kind of a nominee potentially for that Scotty Washington as well as many others. So I don't know. Just one of those interesting storylines that popped up, and the story itself is on Cincy Jungle, so you can kind of read that as well as the quotes from James Casey, tight ends coach there, but. I don't know if we want to put a bow on that, but Scotty Washington, definitely one of those guys, especially with so many positions on the Bengals roster, already solidified the starting positions, those back-end roster spots. Uh, you know, it's a good position to be in if you're a team, but, you know, as we sit here as fans and those who cover the team, those are kind of the areas that we'll be definitely keeping a close eye on in the summer. Yeah, I think storylines like this, that they're they're more fun when the team is already like established and good. Like I think in the past when you had these positional con- conversions, when the team was struggling, it was like they were relying on it to an, to an extent to work. And now it's just it's a fun experiment. You know, let's see where it goes. Right. It's kind of one of those. Uh, if the Bengals were on hard knocks, this would be a guy they'd probably be yeah. falling around a lot. You know, I mean, yeah. it would be uh, it'd be kind of all over that, seeing how he progresses or lack thereof. But hopefully, it is the former. And not the latter for Scotty Washington and John. I don't. I don't know if you you heard the happening headline show. I have. I have been told that the gym that I work out at down here in the off season after the season, Scotty Washington was working out at that gym uh, for a little while. He had a pass there, so I was keeping my eyes out for him. I don't. I didn't see him. I. I, I assume. Uh, I. I would have. You know, recognized him just from seeing his face on the Bengals website and stuff, but did not see him. So Scotty. 
I said this to you yesterday. If you're if you're listening and you're back out here in the summer and or something and some time off, let me know and uh, we'll work out. We'll we'll grab a workout and we'll get you on the show and you can tell us how everything's going with your conversion to tight end. I'm sure he's listening right now, tuning in live as we speak. Uh, let's keep it rolling. We will be talking about a number of different things before we hop on out of here. As I mentioned, we've got uh, we've got some behind the scenes bangles. We've got we've got number went before we do, John. We did not really chat about this because now there is a second class of the mm. Ring of Honor coming up for the Cincinnati Bengals and kudos to you for reminding me about this and making this a topic for our show this week. This obviously the first class, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, Paul Brown, amazing first class, incredibly deserving. And, you know, there's very, very little, if any arguments against any of those players getting in with the first class. I know there's Willie Anderson out there that was just right there that you could have, you know, he had just as strong of an argument as any to get into that first class. But now we're looking at the second class. And by the way, just a thank you again for everybody's support last summer with the charity fest that we did to help out the Ken Anderson Alliance, the Munoz Foundation, and the Ken Riley Foundation as well. Uh, raised a few, a couple thousand dollars plus for those three charities, which is awesome. And we'll probably be doing something Similar again this summer for the inductees. We'll see what we who they are. We'll see what we can do. But if there's something to support, we'd love to we'd love to do that. But at any rate, kudos to the first class. Now we're on to the second class, John. There, this is this is really hard um, in terms of who we would vote for. At least I, when I look at the names, when I look at the possibilities, I'm like, yeah, him. Oh wait, but yeah, him. Oh wait. That that guy too. Uh, so there are a lot of possibilities. Now, I, I don't know. Have we learned if there is a retirement, you know, like someone has to be away from the team for X amount of years or away from football for X amount of years? Have we learned about that? I, I have not heard that kind of threshold of you. I have not either. I also don't know if these are like, if this is the same list as last year, just without um, Ken Riley and. Before. Yeah, and Ken Anderson. Well, because Munoz and Brown were like automatic, right? So like they, we we all voted in, or the season ticket holders voted in two, and now they get to vote in two again. I think this is more or less. I think this is actually smaller than last year, but I can't confirm or deny that. But it does seem like you have to be either out of the league or like have spent X amount of years away from the Bengals. So we're still, I think, years away from even seeing like AJ Green or Geno Atkins, for example, on this. Right. And those are two that definitely, I mean, AJ, I think he's still playing, right? He's right. I think he's resigned with the Cardinals. So um, he's, he's out there still playing Gino, you know, there was some talk that he was going to play last year, but didn't and Whitworth just retired. So I think for that, it just kind of for that, we will, for now, I think table those names um, and we're going to try and pull up the list of nominees, but for now uh, we know the, and this is, uh, I think I, we've got one here for the, yeah, so they, they the ballot includes 15 names, essentially. Mm-hmm. And this is from Fox 19. I'll share this here, um, courtesy of them informing us. But, I mean, it's kind of a usual suspects. A lot of them are holdovers from, you know, that, that initial first that initial first list here. Here's the list, if you can see it. Um, you see Willie Anderson, Jim Breach, James Brooks, 
Chris Collinsworth, Isaac Curtis, Corey Dillon, Boomer Sice, and David Fulcher, Chad Johnson, Tim Crumry, Dave Lapham, Max Montoya, Lamar Parrish, Bob Trumpy, Reggie Williams. John, I guess if we, I should have queued up the, should I, I could have queued up the state your case, but make state your case, I guess, for the next two that you see on here that should be entering the Bengals ring of honor. Yeah, this is, um, this isn't easy. I feel like everyone is going to be different in terms of like their agenda here, because I think last year the main focus was one, I mean, Ken Riley passed away and he never got to witness it. So everyone wanted that for his family just because, and Ken Anderson was the other, because everyone agrees that of, out of any former Bengal, he is most deserving to go into the Hall of Fame along with Ken Riley. Like it goes for both of them, really. So that was, I think, more or less the agenda. The beginning of the Ring of Honor is a chance for former Bengals to get respect from the team first. So then that respect can be parlayed into national respect and then get into the Hall of Fame and into that conversation. So if we were to continue that, my two would be Willie Anderson for one, 100%. And maybe Chad Johnson, but I feel like those wouldn't be my two that I would f- go with in general because I think there's also a very fine case to every single year include one player who played probably at least 40 years ago because we don't want another Ken Riley situation. We want to see these guys experience this for themselves and not just after their um, after their death. So I think. Regardless, I would put Willie in just because he's arguably the greatest player at his position all time. And then I think I'm going to go with Lamar Parrish, Richard Skinner. Uh, yeah, Richard Skinner, who writes for Local 12, uh, made a great point that Lamar Parrish is arguably a better defensive back than Ken Riley. He was even like even more accomplished. He didn't have as many interceptions, but I think he was arguably one of the greatest defensive players in team history played in the in, in the 70s all throughout that decade like you see a six-time pro bowler i think he probably is one of the more underrated players in this franchise and just because he played so long ago there's not a lot of people at least in my generation who remember or even know of how good he was so i think for me it would be a combination of hall of fame recognition but also recognizing those who played in the early days so that they can see this moment while they still can. So for me, I think I would go Anderson and Parrish. That is really, really, it's, it's awesome that you mentioned Lamar Parrish because that is a name in general, for some reason with the Cincinnati Bengals, with the fan base, you don't hear that name a lot. And it's like, why is this guy not talked about a lot? I mean, this, if you asked Jeff Hobson, and I hope we can get him on the show sometime, if you ask Jeff Hobson about Lamar Parrish, I think, if I remember correctly, he has labeled him Deion Sanders before it was Deion Sanders. He was a guy who was electric in the special teams facet of the game. Kick returns, punt returns, you can see that there. What, six-time Pro Bowls? Six, six Pro Bowls usually gets you into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> uh, you know, in general. So this is a guy for some reason, and I think he's also, he hasn't, he's kind of, not been in the limelight a lot. And I think there was also obviously kind of a, a, a animosity or a, you know, not a great ending of his time with the Bengals. He ended up being, uh, I, I believe, traded away. But a guy who was just absolutely electric, again, before 
our times, but a guy who, you know, especially when he teamed up with, with Ken Riley, it was, it was incredible. And it was a big play on defense looking for a, a place to happen really between those two guys. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I think the easy answer here is, is Willie Anderson and Chad Johnson. And I, I, I don't like to go the easy, you know, the, there's low hanging fruit route. Um, I think there is a, and, and we'll talk about this facet in just a second in terms of some of the other guys, but I, for Willie, for me, Willie Anderson is a hall of fame player that just like Corey Dillon, like Chad Johnson did not get the due because of the incredibly awful teams that he was on in the early part of his career. Uh, and then, you know, you've got, you've got other organizational issues that compounded with that, but just a guy that not a lot of people knew until Marvin Lewis got there. Uh, and so when Marvin Lewis got there, the team was respectable. The team was winning games. All of a sudden, Willie Anderson became one of the top names in the AFC as an offensive tackle. So, and then of course you've got uh, the premier right tackle in an era where it was all about the left tackles, right? And it was just those true blindside protectors that, and nobody talked about the right side. Uh, you know, right side was run run blocking only and left side was the pass protectors only. Willie Anderson did both and did both exceptionally well. So uh, I, I think Willie Anderson really had a good, a strong argument to be in that inaugural class. I think it was just unfortunately for him, there were a lot of other very, very deserving candidates that made it in in front of him. Uh, and then you look at Chad. Um, and, and aside from, you know, what what he did on the field, we're talking about, you know, we've you and I have kind of talked about now with the Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and how the Bengals are cool again, right? And that, you know who made him cool, really? In the first place, uh, you know, and and folks who did not really were were not really into the Bengals for a long time. It was Chad. Chad put them on the map for a lot of different reasons. And if you look at this is Pro Football Reference Cincinnati Bengals career receiving leaders, career leader there, career leader in touchdowns. I mean, a, career leader there. I mean, all the major categories: receptions yards receiving touchdowns i mean just barely by getting with 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 aj green there but uh, there were there were some issues towards the end of his career obviously with the Bengals. but you can't deny what chad johnson meant to the team off of the field in terms of getting them national exposure at a critical point in the in the franchise's history again when marvin lewis took over and they were they were so close to doing something great and he was a part of a couple of the rebuilds that Marvin Lewis was a part of. You can kind of look at three rebuilding projects that Marvin Lewis took over. I would argue it was obviously in 03 and then again in 09 and then again kind of in 11 when, when Andy Dalton took over. I mean, he was part of a big part of both of those, those, you know, 2003 and 2009. He, he made Pro Bowls uh, both of those years and, you know, had thousand yard season both of those years. The Bengals made the playoffs in 09, almost did in 03. And then, of course, did so in 05. So I, I, there are a lot of guys on this list. We'll talk about more in just a second. But to me, it's the low-hanging fruit this time around. It's Willie Anderson and Chad Johnson. That's totally fair. Like like I said, if if I was going off just who deserves it the most, I, w- I would pick those two guys. And I think 
I think Boomer Sison belongs in that conversation too. Mm-hmm. Like, not every team, believe it or not, has multiple um, MVP quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. Boomer Sison is one. And he led the arguably the greatest Bengals team of all time to a Super Bowl, and he was the reason why a lot of people like yourself in, in that age group became Bengals fans. Like that team in itself, I think you know started a generational fandom, just like Chad Johnson was my gateway to fandom for my generation and that absolutely matters just as much as you know their pure raw production and how good of a football player they were like their impact on the community and the fan base even to this day like he is chad is is the ultimate ambassador for this team and that's what we kind of talked about when we interviewed him on this program go check that out from february yes sir yeah he's he's the man dude and he still reps cincinnati like I know that he doesn't criticize any team or player like that's that's his whole thing. He's just a man who has ultimate love for everyone, but he genuinely does love the Bengals. He loves his time here. He loves what they've become now. And it's it's just nothing but that great positive energy that, that comes from it. So I, I know Chad will eventually get in. Like, I'm not worried about him getting in. And I'm not worried about him waiting too long for him to get in. Um, I, I think when, when he gets in, though, he will definitely headline whatever two-person class that is. And maybe almost selfishly, I want Willie Anderson to maybe... I know that would suck for line. Willie, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like you said, like he started his career in, in the late 90s with the Bengals. Awful. No recognition, of course. And he was one of the few from those teams that made it out and lasted up until the Bengals were, you know, decent again. And he was still elite, like right? Like Corey Dillon had one good year after he left the Bengals in 2004, 2005 with the Patriots. But the best some of the best years of Willie Anderson's career was when the Bengals were decent and when they made the playoffs in 2005 and also the fact that he played 99% of his career in Cincinnati helps too which might hurt Lamar Parrish ultimately because he did have really good years I believe with Washington towards the end of his career and that just adds to his overall resume as a player in in general just beyond just what he did with the Bengals so that may keep him out of the ring of honor maybe had no, no fault to his own but yeah if I were to Add four in total, I would definitely add like Chad and Boomer to my list. But yeah, there's there's no argument against all any of those four, to be honest. You know what's an interesting thing? I want to go back to your, your point about Boomer. I hear so often, and maybe it's it's the recency bias, but and it has to do with the fact that they actually were successful in the Super Bowls. However, I hear all the time about how lucky and fortunate the Green Bay Packers were to have back-to-back quarterbacks that were MVPs and went took them to Super Bowls and all of the wins and all of that. You go back to your point about not many teams have two quarterbacks that have MVPs back-to-back. Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, both guys led the team to Super Bowls, losses albeit, but not, not a lot of people talk about the fact that the Bengals – we're in a very fortunate situation to have two franchise guys back to back, lead them to Super Bowls, get MVPs and be two of the better quarterbacks of their respective generations in the league. 100% like I don't I don't really know if Boomer's Hall of Fame case, it doesn't get like as, as much run as Ken Anderson. And I don't know. I don't really know why. Maybe because Boomer is still in the national spotlight and also to his credit, like he he's not biased towards the Bengals, but he, he sticks up for them on mm-hmm. CBS, especially when Bill Cowher, you know, shows his, his oh, yeah. black and oh, yellow yeah. uh, kind of bias a little bit. But I, I think Boomer goes kind of under, under the radar for 
some of the work that he does with the Bengals still. Like I think he like interviewed Burrow for CBS uh, towards the beginning of the last season. So he, he's still around from time to time. And I still, I think he still, you know, values what uh, he did in Cincinnati. And I, I think he should get a little bit more appreciation, appreciation for the things that he's done uh, since he, since he stopped playing. I think, unfortunately, for Boomer, I mean, you, you look at the passing yards, the passing touchdowns, the MVP, Super Bowl appearance, and you say, you know, there's a lot there on the resume that that could be deemed Hall of Fame worthy. I think with the exceptional, you know, he had a, a big handful of exceptional seasons with the Bengals. Unfortunately, there was some other mediocre, a lot of other mediocre seasons with the Jets and with the Cardinals and other, you know, I, so I think, you know, with the, with the sample size of really, really good seasons that he had and playoff appearances and all of that. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, people outside of the Bengals circle maybe look at that and say, yeah, but there's also a lot of uh, meh in there, too. And I hate to say that because I love Boomer. But, you know, I mean, it's more of a um, I think some of his stats are viewed maybe more as a, of a you know time in the league thing or a, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, a longevity thing instead of you know stacked outstanding seasons after outstanding season i don't know that's just maybe what what i but if he had won that super bowl I think that's a different it's yeah. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally different yeah right. especially who he would have beat in montana i just to kind of continue this conversation here of these ring of honor i think there's 15 of them of these ring of honor nominees and you know, we've talked about a bunch of them and we, we, we gave our next two basically. Um, who is, who in your opinion is not being talked about enough uh, either to get into this class or just in general, not really what maybe they played a while ago or what have you, what, who, what player in your estimation that is on here going, you know what, this, this guy needs a little bit, a little bit more of a spotlight. Um, well, I, maybe it's because we haven't mentioned him. I have seen other people mention him. Isaac Curtis, just yep. because of yep. he literally changed the game at receiver. And there's <laughs> another guy who played in the 70s and his career is overlooked because he didn't win four Super Bowls like Lynn Swan, even though they played at the same time. Isaac Curtis was arguably a better player. But again, a guy who's in his 70s now and meant a lot for those first good Bengals teams and, you know, his connection with Ken Anderson was obviously very evident. So yeah, for a franchise that, I mean, we, we, we talk about the quarterbacks, but like receiving talent for the entire 55 years of this, this franchise's history has been insane. And I feel like Curtis was the first really good one who ended up you know playing the majority of his career with the Bengals. So he, he would be, you know, a guy that I would definitely vote in within the next few years. So I'm not going to put you're we're looking again at pro football reference. You see here third leading receiver in an era that passing the football, especially deep down the field, was not even anywhere close to what it was in Chad Johnson and A.J. Green's era as the 416 receptions. Again, um, same deal. Touchdowns, I believe he is. Yeah, he's he's fourth um, there. Pickens uh, leapfrogged him uh, a while ago, but fourth with 53. So, I mean, yeah, in an era that was not you know, all about passing the football. I would restack this here, but I think we'll get some people who have like four catches that have for like, you know, <laughs> a massive amount of yards per reception. But I mean, when you look at the yards per reception though, John, 17.1 for Isaac Curtis, 13 for Pickens, 14 and a half for Green, 14.4 for Chad, a guy who was known for a lot of deep balls and a lot of big plays, 17.1 yards per catch average 
playing in the 70s and 1980s, John. That's that's an eye-popping stat. And I did. I'll have to pull up the tweet or you can go look back at it. But I, I pulled up kind of a stat comparison between Isaac Curtis and some of these major area, areas and Drew Pearson, the Cowboys wide receiver who finally made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I believe this last class. It, it's neck and neck, man. I mean, it, it statistically, it is neck and neck. There's no denying it. And the fact that he lasted 12 years in an era where receivers were beat up, he was so beat up early in his career that they said, hey, lay off this dude a little bit. And then he averaged, what, 21.2 yards per reception in 1975 is one mm-hmm. of four Pro Bowl seasons. <sighs> yeah, there's there's a lot to love about Isaac Curtis. And I think a lot of people have a lot of great things to say about him as a person, too. Like, there's so many great arguments for these guys. I've seen a lot of support for Tim Crumry. In the comments section, of course, he's always going to be a legend for what happened in the Super Bowl and the fact that he also played a long time as well. You got Max Montoya and Dave Lapham, I guess. Dave, Moeg brought up a great point about this. I feel like Dave Lapham shouldn't have to be voted in by the fans. Like, I feel like the Bengals should just make him like a separate member. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because as far as like a career lifelong Bengal, like that, Dave Lapham is. Mr. Bangle. He's the most biased media member in the history of media, but you know, that that's, that's what he does. So yeah, we love, we love Dave. We love lap. <laughs> uh, you know, this is funny right here. Look at the games played most by a wide receiver uh, or tight end really in Bengals history games played. So you talked about a guy who just aside from production and doing things that were not done in an era of football uh, from a statistical standpoint, just playing that many games, like you said, um, I mean, it, defensive backs were able to get away with a lot in that era as well in terms of contact and all kinds of things. So yeah, Isaac, Isaac Curtis playing 167 games, by the way, look at our, look at our guy Munoz, seven career receptions, four touchdowns. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, so yeah, Munoz, the one guy I'm going to bring up that isn't talked about. I mean, he's talked about some, but I feel like he's not talked about enough and maybe overshadowed again because of, the teams he played on and so many stars, so many stars on, on this team, but take a look at the number two rusher on, on in team history, James Brooks. I mean, I know we talk about Dylan, of course, and for good reason, uh, 6,447, but he was also a guy that uh, was around that 10,000 yards career from scrimmage was an insane receiving threat as a running back was just such a fun toy from Boomer and Sam Weish to use in this offense sold the play action along with Boomer at just, if you go back and look at some of those, those clips, I mean, the selling of the play action between those two was unbelievable. A guy, yes, talked about a lot, but I feel like maybe not enough. And a guy who was incredibly valuable. And then look at the yards per attempt, sniffing five yards per attempt. I mean, just a guy who was, a do-it-all player and one of the biggest trade steals in NFL history here. Uh, so I, I, I feel like James Brooks potentially should be, and I, I, I just loved watching him play, but um, you know, that's a guy I think should be talked about a little bit more. I actually didn't know that the team traded for him. What was that trade like? It was uh, for Pete Johnson. They traded, they traded oh, right. uh, Brooks. Brooks was with the Chargers and, they, you know, the Bengals said, you know, at, at that point, Pete Johnson was kind of towards the end of his career, uh, had a productive one with the Bengals. And they just said, you know, let's let's trade this one out. Uh, and they got a very young James Brooks 
and from the chargers and the rest is kind of history. I don't know what he would have done with Dan Fouts towards the end of Fouts career there in, in San Diego, but uh, just a, a big steal for the Bengals getting James Brooks there. And then just paired him with another, another big back by the name of Iggy Woods. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by merit, like I think Brooks belongs like even like over Iggy Woods. I'm, I'm curious like just how that that goes because obviously Corey Dillon um, is going to get a lot of, of fan support. I'm very interested to see how that will all go down with with what happened with him and the team. And just looking at that list, I think Joe Mixon is going to be like third on the all time rushing list after this season. Which yeah, is he thing. should be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he should be. Uh, and then you know, there's others that aren't listed there. Um, and you know, we'll we'll wrap this part up in just a second here. But a uh, little surprised that Carl Pickens. I, mean, I know there's a lot of wide receivers on that on that list there that the Bengals have. You know, you've got Collinsworth and and Chad and Isaac Curtis in there, all of course deserving. But Pickens again playing on some bad teams, made a few Pro Bowls and uh, put up a lot of stats for a handful of years there. A little surprise, of course. There's a little animosity on that side of things too between how that relationship ended between the club and Pickens. That was always kind of a tumultuous thing for a couple of years there, but uh, a little surprised. You know, he's not he's not talked about more or maybe even placed on the list. See what happens down the road. I can't forget about his quarterback either. And I don't know if the team will ever put Jeff Blake on there just because the team was not very good under him. Mm -hmm. But I think there will be like a cult following to get him (laughs) in because like that team was unwatchable, but he was at least fun to watch. And like, I think he was the reason why people still he was one of the main reasons why people still tuned in because. It, even if the team was bad, like the quarterback was interesting, you could throw it 80, 80 miles in the air perfectly. So yeah, the, the, the deep ball that would exit the the TV yeah. screen, right? <laughs> it would just yeah. go way off the TV screen. Yeah, there's, there's value in that, even, even yeah. if like there's no success. So I'm, I'm right. interested to see if he ever gets on the ballot. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But that's uh, we wanted to talk a little Ring of Honor. We didn't talk about that, so uh, we wanted to to touch on that. All right, let's move on we started this last week we've talked about some breakout players we've talked about uh we we kind of changed it a little bit the behind the scenes bangles uh there are a couple that kind of came to mind for me but there's been a little bit and i think it was from charlie goldsmith of the cincinnati Enquirer talking about potentially how chris evans may be poised for a bigger role here and this is a you know i mean running back gets gets a lot of attention but He's not going to start over Joe Mixon, barring something completely unforeseen there. The Bengals still have uh, P. Ryan on the on the roster there, and P. Ryan is a guy that this coaching staff loves and trusts for better or for worse. And so, and and you know, I think in, in some moments P. Ryan has overachieved in terms of what fan expectations were at some points, but there's some other moments where you go, oh gosh. But you know, I mean, he's a guy that the coaches really like, and he's he's stuck on this roster really. Since, um, you know, I think that Seattle game, he started the first game in, in Zach Taylor's career, he was activated then and then, you know, kind of stuck with the team since. But Chris Evans, a guy, John, that's kind of coming to mind for behind the scenes Bengals. And what, what I think about with him is now his role may expand because here, here are a couple things. Number one, the Bengals have a little bit of uncertainty behind the big three at wide receiver. So this could pave the way for. Evans to line up in the slot or as a receiving weapon, just really spread out a little bit. Number two, the Bengals have shored up the offensive line. So Evans is 
conceivably not going to be relegated to a lot of pass blocking duty, blitz pickup duty, all of that with a short up offensive line, you would hope. I mean, he'll still probably do some of that. But with that, I mean, he, he was actually a pretty capable blocker when you saw him in that facet uh, asked to do that last year. So I don't know. This could be a guy now all of a sudden that's just an added weapon. I don't want to say necessarily Gio Bernard-esque because Gio was – had a high profile role right away behind Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, but still a guy that could be a nice outlet option. Some some weakness at the back end of the tight end group, some weakness at the back end of the wide receiver group. And now you've shored up the offensive line. A behind the scenes Bengals player this year could be Chris Evans. That might be a nice surprise in year two. Yeah, I think the 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 the, the P Ryan resentment is is well noted, well documented at this point. I think when in, in regards to Evans I think the reason why we saw more Pirine compared to Evans in those situations is just because, you know, down the stretch in the playoffs, like I think the coaches were comfortable with where the team was and they didn't want to change too many things. And that's why Evans didn't really get integrated into the rotation a little bit more. And also because like they were still running the ball at a decent clip because they weren't trusting the offensive line. And that required in their mind, for P Ryan to kind of spell mixing more in some of those, you know, running situations and then just have P Ryan just be your main, you know, third down back in, in pass protection and even as a receiving option. So because of where the rotation was with where the season was, I think they weren't too comfortable in implementing a rookie into that spot. If he wasn't already there at the beginning of the season, compared to like Giovanni Bernard, when he was a rookie, like he was immediately the number two behind Ben Jarvis and he made an instant impact. And I think a lot of people saw that for Evans, but they had, they had trust and belief in P Ryan. Now that there's an off season separating the Super Bowl and week one, if, if Evans isn't the number two now, I think that is the time to worry. But I think because there is now a, a period where he can show that he's improved, that he can validate whatever trust they have in him now compared to P Ryan. I think that is, this is the opportunity for him to get on the field more and to get the snaps and the targets and the touches that a lot of fans wanted from him at times last year when P Ryan wasn't doing very much. And also I, I think because Mixon won't be running the ball as much, I think you will see naturally less P Ryan in general. And maybe that gives Evans a new kind of role to be more involved in the passing game, like you said. So I think just with now there's a fresh view of this offense and how much more it can open up. And the fact that Mixon will be used a little bit less naturally should pave the way for Evans to be on the field a bit more. And hopefully because he's is a very versatile and athletic player, they can utilize him. And honestly, like that athleticism, it, it just gives him an inherent advantage over P. Ryan, even if you aren't fully like, even if you still think that P Ryan is, is more capable of handling assignments, that athleticism is an advantage that they can't just let rot on the bench. When you say use Mixon less, why why are you saying that? Just because you feel that the Bengals won't be kind of putting a pitch count on Burrow because of the rehab process, because the offensive line should be more able to pass protect at a more efficient rate than they did last year because of the, I mean, I, I, I may be answering your question for my, my own question <laughs> for you here, but I mean, I, where, why are you seeing it? Because I don't know, conceivably Joe Mixon's still going to get a lot of touches. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just am curious why you're saying just less, why, why you're thinking that. Well, yeah, like I think naturally because they based the offense in the early part of the season around just running the ball because they couldn't trust mm-hmm. the offense line. They wanted to protect Burrow. So I think naturally 
that isn't going to be the case, at least in the beginning parts of the season. Now, if they're in comfortable positions every single week and they're running the clock out naturally, yeah, Mixon will get the load and he might average at the end of, at the end of the season still like 17, 18 carries a game, which will give him close to 300 for the season. So that might still happen, but I think you will see an increase in early down passing and just passing earlier on in the season in general compared to last year when they were amongst the league, amongst the league leaders in early down rushing. So I think that's where I'm kind of getting that. Okay. Uh, do you have a behind the scenes bangle outside of Chris Evans or did I steal yours there? Uh, <laughs> do you have an, another one that you're thinking of before we start closing up shop here? You know, I'm going to go with Marcus Bailey. Not really. I don't really have a ton to say with him. I think just because unfortunately Akeem Davis gave there got a hurt last year. And outside of like some moments against the Ravens where he's utilized as a third linebacker, he hasn't shown that much. I think it's still mostly potential and projection because he's a little bit undersized and isn't really shown to be that much of an asset in coverage. I think Bailey got a lot of valuable playing time last year um, along with Joe Bocci as well when Logan Wilson was hurt. And I, w- I really wonder where Bailey is now in the depth chart at linebacker because he's probably more of a well-rounded player who can take on blocks and also drop back into space. We- we've talked about the fact that even though he was a seventh round pick, he was definitely more talented to be drafted mm-hmm. earlier that year mm-hmm. and entering year three, you have to remain Pratt in-, in a contract year, obviously Pratt, and Wilson are your your starters, and you're banking on Wilson being probably a long-term player here. I'm just really curious as to how much more involved Bailey gets into the rotation, if there is going to be this rotation at linebacker, and they they want to give rests to Logan Wilson and Pratt, because, you know, for once, that linebacking core is actually solid. They can have trust in the guys, not only on the field, but on the the bench, you know, waiting to be subbed in, and there's going to be a, a pretty good competition to see who actually makes the roster, because most of these guys actually deserve it this time. So with, with Bailey, I, I think because you know, hopefully he's healthy, he's suffered with injuries a lot in his career, but I think there is a lot for him to offer compared to maybe a guy like Pratt. Maybe like Bailey is, is an even more, is an even bigger asset in coverage on a more consistent down to down basis. Maybe he is a more well-rounded athlete and maybe in year three, he can finally show it and even push for playing time. Now that Pratt's in a contract year. He showed the ability when he was at Purdue and when he was healthy. He showed the ability to make a play against the, in the pass defense area. I mean, he he's that's he was known to kind of do that and uh, was it was a talented talented guy and it, well is a talented talented guy, but obviously the injuries and whatnot kind of caused him to slip and and so when you look at that, yeah, the, the other thing aside from you know finally healthy and and you know all of that it's also the the learning curve potentially being gone with with the nfl speed and getting acclimated to all kinds of different things you're hoping that that steep climb potentially has lessened and that now he can kind of play a little bit instinctively and not not kind of think overthink it or you know whatever cliche you want to use there it just seems like this is a it's a critical year for him it's that it's that year three it's a guy we have a soft spot for because he came on the show, but also he just, I, I think we felt like when the Bengals drafted him, it was like, just get healthy and give this kid a shot, right? It was just like, just get, give him his shot because I think he'll do some things for you. There were some moments last year, I think it was in the postseason, he had a nice pass breakup in the end zone. Um, and and there were some some moments there where you go, there it is. There, you know, there it is. So 
I, I'm pulling for him big time. Uh, I, I do think this is a big year for him, and I do wonder, like you, where he is on the depth chart at the at the linebacker group. Yeah, I feel like he was one of those first guys because that was year two of Zach Taylor. That was his second draft class. He was one of those first guys that you could like tell like this guy embodies the the, the person that I think Taylor's looking for. Yeah. And he was like a joy on our show, but I think just in general, like his attitude and his approach to the game i think it's going to allow him to last in the, in the league for a long time it's going to allow him to you know develop great relationships with whatever coaching staff he may end up with if he ever moves on from the Bengals. i think he's got a good relationship with them now and i think that should allow him to get more opportunities and opportunity may be all that he needs because i think he's got the talent yeah so behind the scenes Bengals that could be Thrust into some bigger roles based on what we've seen in OTAs and other circumstances. Chris Evans, maybe a little bit predictable there, but Chris Evans at the running back spot and Marcus, excuse me, Marcus Bailey uh, at the linebacker spot, maybe getting some extra time, maybe a more heavy rotator. We will see, and we'll definitely be keeping tabs on that through training camp and uh, the rest of the summer preseason, the whole deal. All right. Let's get to a remember when I should have had something cutesy queued up here, but I didn't. The remember when I have, and, and the Chris Evans thing kind of provides a nice segue there. The remember when I had was I was thinking back to, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to talk about Chris Evans as this behind the scenes bangle, you know, what's obviously it's not just rushing yards. It's kind of yards from scrimmage when it comes to Chris Evans and what his benefit for the Bengals will be or potentially be this this season. I want to go back a couple of years and and just remember when because we we think of Giovanni Bernard as a guy who we kind of remember more the la- the latter years of his career where you know he was hurt a couple of times, he had the, he had the uh, season ending injury. Uh, I think two years he had a couple of them there. I think it was 20, what was it 2016 and uh, 2018? He, he missed some time there. So you look at that and you go, okay, there's some injuries. And then, of course, you know, what was his role really in, in that one of the final seasons there? And you can see here, but you know, 404 yards from, from scrimmage and, and, uh, 16 games in 2019, the first year under Zach Taylor. And then when Joe Burrow came in here, you see that nice jump there. But I want to go back to the first, particularly the first two years, but the first uh, three years for Geo. And you look at it, 1,209 yards from scrimmage, 1,020. And again, he's splitting time here. Uh, 1,029 yards from scrimmage, 1,202 yards from scrimmage in 2013, 2014, 2015. 2014, the Bengals were a good team, but they were just decimated by injury for the most part, uh, especially as that year came to a close. But, I mean, really, when you look at it, 2013, they were an explosive offense. 2015, they were one of the best teams in the league. And it's no coincidence because he was a weapon. And you look at the rushing and receiving touchdowns here. Again, this is courtesy of Pro Football Reference. Uh, Eight as a rookie, rushing and receiving. Seven his second year, only two. But still, you see the second that you know the 1,200 yards in from scrimmage there, and then the yards yards per touch 5.3, 4.9, 5.9, and when you look at it and you see this down here, yes, there was some time missed in 2016, yes, there was some time missed in 2018. But when you look at the the, you start to see the decline here in the yards 
from scrimmage, and that correlates, John, do you know with what? What? The offensive line decline of the Cincinnati Bengals. And not only not only does it correlate with that from, you know, a lack of running, you know, rushing yards, running room, that sort of thing, but it also correlates because what we just talked about with Chris Evans towards the end of Giovanni Bernard's career and something that we've tried to bring to light and really, you know, shine a light on this. Gio was asked to pass protect, pick up blitzes and do all kinds of things at the end of his career that disallowed him to be the type of weapon that he was for the Bengals early in his career with the offensive line starting to get worse and worse and worse towards the the final years, especially when you're talking post-2016, you know, you're seeing a lack of impact from a guy like Gio who can affect things as a receiver, as a running back, do, you know, multifaceted weapon. We're hoping, and why am I bringing this up? Remember when he had over a thousand yards from scrimmage his first three years, even when splitting carries, the Bengals had a really good offensive line in those, you know, you had Andrew Whitworth, you had all, you know, Clint Bowling, and you, you had all these guys in there um, that were that were doing great work. And so at the end there, no Kevin Zeitler, no Andrew Whitworth, the line was a mess and Geo's impact was not as high as it was early in his career. And so this is why I'm correlating this with the Chris Evans thing. This is why I am hopeful, not necessarily a thousand yards from scrimmage for Chris Evans this next year, like we saw from Geo because of, questions on his role but this is why I feel like again Chris Evans could have a high impact or a much higher impact than he did as a rookie in multiple facets because of the additions of Capileo Collins you've got Jonah Williams you've got Ted Karras now I mean all of that just allows the Bengals offensive flexibility and creativity with a guy like Evans I think back to those early years with Gio like there's a clear case of hey we need to draft a player who can do this and this, like just catch the ball in the backfield, provide a little spark. And that's exactly what he did. Like he came in immediately and did exactly what he was drafted to do. And while he did have a ton of receiving production over the course of his career, it never felt like it felt like it was his rookie season where he was like the most correctly utilized as a receiver. And as his career went on, it became like less and less frequent or maybe like less and less creative. And it was it was less seeing him catch the ball and make a guy miss with with space. It was more of just Andy Dolan kind of sacrificing him to to the to the flat with a swing pass, and he would yeah. like immediately be met. By it's predictable. I remember there, there was one specifically against the Colts. I'll never forget it. I'm like, if I was Geo and like Andy threw me that ball, and immediately I get like destroyed by a defender. Like I'm not looking at Andy Dolan for like a week. Like you just left me out there to die. And it was really sad. I, I actually vividly remember the play that you're talking I, I'll, about. I'll yeah. never forget it. I'll never yeah. forget it. I I just wish they would have utilized him a little bit better as his career went on. But, I mean, is, is Giovanni Bernard going to be one of the last running backs to sign, th- what, three multi-year NFL contracts? Rookie year, he got extended 2016. Then he got extended, I believe it was 2019. I know the Bengals cut him, but like one year before his contract expired. But then he got another contract with a really good team of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they utilized him pretty well for being like close to his 30s. So those first three years were special, and I really wish that we saw a little bit more of that. But that's also kind of the reality with running backs, and most of them you don't really see them be that effective beyond you know the age of 25, 26. And you know, hopefully for the Bengals' sake, that Mixon's more of the exception. 
Yeah, I mean, man, was it 2014, that game against Miami, that ridiculous play he had there where he yeah. ran all the way around the field? Oh, my gosh. That was just something where you're like, dude, what is it? This is video game stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and one of the guys, I think, while he was known as a, as a fan favorite and a guy that, you know, was productive, I still think that when you really dive into the weeds of of Giovanni Bernard and look at what he he does on film and what he did on film, you'll go back and go, this guy was underappreciated because, uh, you know, he actually was a better in-between tackles runner than a lot of people gave him credit for. And like you said, John, he was a guy that I, I you saw glimpses of it where you would line him out in the slot every once in a while. But as the team fell apart in many facets, those, those predictable passes out in the flats that just got him lit up or were incompletions or lost yardage or whatever – those became more and more frequent and it was, it was a shame to see because it was kind of a little bit of a waste of who he was and what he could do on the field. So at any rate, I was just thinking about Chris Evans in early years of geo. And I'm hoping that the Bengals in this maybe a little bit more creative offensive minded staff that the Bengals currently employ on the coaching side of things will, will utilize Evans to some of those strengths and, and we'll see some fun things there. So that's the remember when. Uh, let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you got for us, John? Yeah, I didn't really know how to really address this. I know we had a lot of, I think we had some questions about um, Jackson Carmen because he was, I think, interviewed or at least uh, was able to talk to the media for the first time this offseason. And I really respected the way that um, Cleveland media like handled Deshaun Watson's opening press conference like they understood what that was they understood the moment and they didn't really they didn't really let up and I wasn't really expecting uh, the Bengals beat to you know go for 20 minutes asking Jackson Carmen about reports that came out last month about what happened during his time at Clemson but I think I was expecting at least one question and it never really came up and I'm just really curious as to why I'm wondering if they were told not to ask him. I'm wondering if they felt like it wasn't worth asking, but it's been a month since we've known about this and no one seems to really want to talk about it anymore outside of those first couple of days. People are more concerned about if Jackson Carmen is in shape or if he's going to you know, win out the left guard battle because people are still caring about the offensive line, but people still care about this. They still realize that it happened and I feel like it deserves at least one question for Carmen to see if he has anything to say about the, the, what the reports were. And he can say no comment, but I feel like it's got to be addressed at least once by someone who has access to do this. Unfortunately, we don't have access into locker room. And, you know, thankfully, you know, these reporters have this access that, you know, they used to have before COVID. And hopefully we can get a lot of great stories out of, out of these players. Cause I feel like that's the main thing that, you know, B writers get to do. Like they get to be the voice for players and they get to, you know, share their stories that they want to tell us, right? Because we only know them as players. We don't really know them as human beings. But at the same time, if there is a story that exists out there and that is important for us to know about, I feel like it deserves to be addressed at least at least once. So next time Jackson Carmen is in front of a microphone, I really wonder if that changes. I that's that's a good point. I I think we would have heard obviously heard more about his time with the media had this question been asked and the response that he would have given my only, I, I don't, I can't speculate. I don't know why. I don't know why this, this occurred or did not occur. 
I, my, my thinking is that maybe they were, you know, the media members were instructed maybe to dodge that subject. I can remember it's not the same degree of an issue, but I can remember interviewing, I guess this is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. I can remember interviewing Drake Kirkpatrick for Cincy Jungle when he was, I think, in his rookie year or second year. And before I got on the phone with him, they said, don't don't ask him about his injury status at the time, because at the time he was hurt. So don't ask him about an injury update or anything like that. And I said, OK, I won't. Um, I don't know if something similar occurred. My guess is maybe, but I, I don't you know, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to you know, put that out there and say this definitely was this or whatever. But I, I, the longer this goes on, the more questions linger. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of the issue with it. And I, I don't it's it's a it was a bad and surprising story that came out of uh, seemingly nowhere. Uh, but I mean, uh, apparently some people seem to have known about it uh, or teams heard about it, I guess, going into the draft process. I don't know. But yeah, I, I I don't have a good answer for you as to why that would have occurred. But I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think, you know, we this at some point needs to be addressed, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's confirmed as a non story, whether it's. It is, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, but it is a good point you bring up. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect anyone to really have an answer because ultimately we don't know. It's just that, at least from my perspective, the more that you try to pretend things don't exist or they didn't happen, the more that we will continue to you know, wonder why it isn't being discussed. And I think the more that it lives on. And I think, objectively speaking, the Bengals would like this to not be in the topic of conversation anymore so i think they're going to continue to not really discuss it but unfortunately i don't think that's going to help really push it away if it's not addressed at all so it's going to be i guess interesting to monitor because again we don't know a lot about it yep deborah chandler here on the facebook chat four simple words that sums it up well elephant in the room that is uh that's about right so we'll just have to play the waiting game a little bit it would seem and and Hopefully uh, we get some clarification on, on what's going on with that, with that whole situation there, but we gotta, we gotta wait, wait and see. I don't have too much aside from a couple of kind of promo stuff. One is a shameless self-promotion, I guess, because I was on an appearance on this show, who day nation at WN WDN today, Josh Isles. Um, we're going to be joined by him also. He runs, John, he runs a Facebook page, a Bengals Facebook page that I think has about 150,000, 160,000 oh, wow. followers. Yeah. Uh, so if you are on Facebook, you got to go. You probably are a part of it. Um, so go check out his Facebook page. And then, of course, there is a YouTube link, um, Who Day Nation today. Uh, so go. We, I appreciate the time there. Spent about 25 minutes with him talking about all kinds of things with the Bengals. And our guy, Bengal Jim, uh, shot this over to me as well. He has a number, if you remember, John, he has an, He had the Jungle to the Hall last year where they marched to the Hall of Fame, and Willie Anderson was there. And basically kind of, I mean, it was a fun, it wasn't like a threatening thing or anything, but it was like a, hey, give the Bengals recognition. Um, for We need more Bengals in the Hall of Fame. And it was a, it was a cool event. So he's got a second one that he is uh, kicking off here, Jungle to the Hall too, and that is on. There's an event bright link. I'll uh, get that to you here, as well as the YouTube link for the show that I mentioned with Josh. There's the YouTube link in the live chats, and then I will pin the event bright there for Jim's Jungle to the Hall too. So uh, thought I'd just give a little shout out to them and uh, let folks know what they're what they're doing there. But uh, that is about it for us. Anything else, my friend, before we hop on out of here? 
Yeah, I got a plug as well. I was on with my buddy Greg from Our Lads for Prime Sports Network to talk about some Bengals draft reactions. A little, a little bit delayed from the draft, but definitely check out his channel at uh, Prime Sports Network on YouTube. He's also, through Our Lads, doing a giveaway of their NFL draft review, which has yet to been released. But if any of our listeners wants a copy of the 2022 NFL draft review brought to you by or done by our lads, definitely hit me up on Twitter at John two underscore Sheeran. DM me, email me, whatever. If you would like a copy, provide your email address and I'll, uh, I'll let Greg know and, and we'll get that set up, but definitely check out um, his channel at prime sports network on YouTube and yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Our lads is a, you know, very well-known and well-respected draft, uh, draft outlet. So um, that's awesome, man. Uh, and then of course we've got just, just to kind of tee up the next couple of episodes, we'll be having some guests and whatnot to varying uh, different areas of, of things. And what we're going to try and do is get a pulse on the AFC North. So we've reached out to some great people who cover the teams within the AFC North to get a recap on how things are going to get a handle on OTAs and and their draft classes and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to set those up. And in the next few episodes, we're going to be bringing on some special guests to that end to talk about the AFC North and what's going on around that. We've got, you know, some great, some familiar names, maybe some new ones. We'll see, but uh, we're, we're getting that queued up for you as well. Thanks everybody for tuning in. This has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy jungle podcast network, of course, all under the SB nation umbrella you can get this show on YouTube. There's a beneath John and that SB Nation logo there. You can click the show icon to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content's available. You got to give a thumbs up on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And then, of course, if you like the audio side of things, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, we're on all of them. You got to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Leave us a review if you could. And then... We'll uh, take it to heart. We'll take that advice to heart. And in the meantime, we'll keep bringing you all kinds of different stuff, all kinds of episodes and material as we go through the rest of the offseason in the training camp. John, have a good week, my friend. I was I was a little worried we would be fill, if we would fill up an hour, and here we are. We've gone over. So uh, uh, thanks for everything, and have a good week, my man. Happy Memorial Day to you and everyone That's else. That's right. That's right. I forgot to – yeah. Yeah, happy Memorial Day. Take care, everybody.